Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Sin is deceptive and sin is destructive. There are consequences to sin. The Bible says, Can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? That's what we do when we take sin into our lives and think, I can take sin in. I'm okay. I'm all right. Sin may not look dangerous or deadly at its onset because it entices us and draws us in. The Bible says sin leads to death. It is our prayer today that if you've been drawn into sin, that you would recognize the mercy and grace of God and accept His call to repent and start anew. He offers that to each one of us freely. With a powerful message out of 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 8, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for, again, all that you are doing in us. We thank you that you've called us to make a difference in this city. You've called us to be established deeply, rooted deeply in you, and that you want us to be serious about the lives that we live for you. You don't want us to have mediocrity in our faith or mediocrity in our commitment. You said that I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you are lukewarm, I will spew you out. Lord, we want to be, we want to be on fire for you. We want to mean what we say and say what we mean, and we want to have a passion for you. We pray that we would be able now to look at those things in our lives that may be putting a wet blanket on our faith, that may be causing us to, to sit back on our heels and not really get involved. And Lord, we pray as we consider these men and women who are facing great persecution, that we would consider the days that we live in, that we are living in days where the end is, is near. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Since I started going to church, I've had people tell me that they believed that it was the end of the world. Uh, back in the mid-70s, they would point at things taking place in Israel in 1973, Jordan, Egypt, and uh, uh, Syria attacked Israel on the day of Yom Kippur. And um, Israel ended up fighting back and taking everything in Israel, including the city of Jerusalem. Jesus said that the city of Jerusalem, in Luke chapter 21, the city of Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. In 1973, Israel, uh, Jerusalem came under Israeli control for the very first time since 66 A.D., and there was a lot of buzz. Immediately, the leadership in Israel gave the Temple Mount back to the Palestinians as kind of a peace branch to them. So they had control completely of Jerusalem, and then they immediately gave it back. Now, are we still living in the days when the time of the Gentiles will come to an end and God will once again begin to work with the nation of Israel? I believe we are. And, and obviously, we're closer today than we were in 1973, but I also know there's a lot of people that have given up on the return of Jesus. There are a lot of people that are like, ah, you guys are always talking about Jesus coming back and he hasn't come back yet. But Peter's gonna tell us a little bit later on in this book, in the last days, 
scoffers are going to arise who will scoff at the coming of the Lord. And we've got to be careful that we don't become one of those scoffers because one thing will happen. Jesus will come back again. I don't know whether it will be in my lifetime. I don't know whether it will be 50 or 100 years. To, a, to God, a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day. I look at the world around me today and I think, how could he not come back soon? How could he not judge the world where it is? Look, at the, the nation of Israel is a nation, once again, born again in a day, even as it was foretold. He could come back at any moment, but he will come back. And the Bible says, will he find faith on the earth when he returns. We want to make sure that we make the most of our time. Whether he comes back for us, whether our days are shortened or we go to him, we don't have enough time. When you're young, time seems like it's just endless, like you just got all the time in the world. Then when you get older, you say, where in the world did all of the time go? I was talking to Paul, one of our worship leaders. He's the, I call him our hippie worship leader. You know exactly who I'm talking about when I say Paul, our hippie worship leader. And he was telling me that his daughter's turning 17 years old. And he's just like, oh man, she's turning 17. He talked about that a little bit. She's gonna be going to college and she's gonna be getting married. He started getting all nostalgic. And when he was all done, I said, my youngest is already married, buddy. I don't know that I feel so sorry for you. I've had my oldest gone. She's got grandkids. My middle son has a grandkid on the way. And my youngest son is married. And I am now an empty nester. So my life has completely changed. And it just seems like from the time I was 25 years old and moved to Tucson with my daughter, like it is a blink of an eye. Like I was 25 with a one-year-old and now I'm, I'm not even gonna tell you how old I am. Now I'm old and time has gone by so quickly. So in the passage that we're covering today, Peter has that sense of urgency. He has it because he knows that these people are going to be under persecution. Many of them are going to lose their lives. Many of them are going to have to be serious about the way that they live because the time is short. Peter, I might have said Paul a moment ago, but I meant Peter. Peter is even going to lose his life in this particular wave of persecution. It is the persecution from Rome that Peter will be arrested and crucified upside down in Rome. So the very things he writes about with this sense of urgency, he's experiencing himself. Let's just kind of read through the passage a little bit. We're going to come back and, and break it down. But I want to point out a couple of things as we make our way through here. Just the first, say, six verses. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sinning, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Note the word time there, that, that we would no longer live the rest of our time after our own desires, but rather the will of God. Then the same concept in verse three, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime. That word there could be translated time as well. We've spent enough of our time in doing the will of the Gentiles, that will of the Gentiles in contrast to the will of God. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelries and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, in regard to these, 
They think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. A couple more and then we'll we'll wrap it up. We'll go back. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, if the end of all things were at hand, when Peter was writing the book of 1 Peter, then the end of all things is really at hand for us. We are far closer than they were. The sense of urgency was right. It was a sense of urgency by the Spirit. Jesus told us that we needed to be ready because he could return at any moment. We need to live our lives in such a way as if Christ could come back today. He told a story of a master who went away and came back and surprised his servants. And then he said, therefore, you be ready. Make sure your life is ready. Now, as he gets into this sense of urgency, he discusses not only time and the will of God as compared to the will of the Gentiles, but he also discusses sin and how we ought to flee sin, arm ourselves with a mind of suffering and get away from sin. When, uh, when we, we begin talking about sin, I think, first of all, we don't have a good picture of what sin really is like. I think we have an idea that, okay, here's sin, and sin is is some things that I like to do, and then I got to get rid of those things, some of which I like to do. Not realizing that sin is always destructive. Maybe one of the first things that we ought to recognize about sin is that it is deceptive. Sin is deceptive, the Bible says. It's always deceiving. It always promises something and gives you something else. We know that. How do we know that? We know it by experience. Every one of us here have had an apple, as it were, right in front of our face, and we've taken it, and it hasn't produced what it promised that it would in our lives. What we need is a better memory so that the next time the apple is put in front of our face, we will go, no, I remember what happened the last time that I took that apple. We need to remember that sin is deceptive. Not only is sin deceptive, but the Bible tells us that sin is destructive Sin destroys, it tears down, it wounds. When you and I deliberately walk in sin, there's a tearing, there's a wounding that takes place within us. And it takes a while for you to get over that wound. There's a sensitivity. Life kind of takes on this sense full of, of guilt The the Bible even says, and I love that God cares about our conscience. I love that God doesn't want you and I walking around riddled with guilt. A lot of people would claim that we in the church are all about laying guilt on people. 
That that's what we pastors want to do. We want, you guys are all a bunch of guilty people. Walk around and be guilty. But what God wants to do is lift guilt off of you. There's a passage that says, do not sin for conscience sake. God is saying, when you sin, your conscience is wounded and I don't want your conscience wounded. Don't sin for conscience sake that you can walk before him and have everything right between you and God. Sin is deceptive and sin is destructive. There are consequences to sin. The Bible says, can a man take fire into his lap and not be burned? That's what we do when we take sin into our lives and think, I can take sin in. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'll handle it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, put away the weight which slows you down and the sin which so easily ensnares you. That's what happens with sin. We get ensnared by it because it is deceptive and it is destructive. And we think, I have a handle on sin. Any of you guys ever thought that? I've got a handle on sin. I'm going to go ahead and live this sin. I've got it taken care of. I'm going to control it only to find out that it entangles you. It snares you and it trips you and it brings you down. You never have a handle on sin. You might think that you have a handle on sin right now. You may be harboring sin in your life. You may be hiding some huge, major sin and thinking, it's okay, I've got a handle on it. God hasn't zapped me yet. And you would think with this sin in my life that God would would have zapped me. But don't mistake the long-suffering grace of God for approval. If God is giving you room to repent before your life is completely destroyed, then repent. It's a window of time that God is giving you before destruction takes place. I'm not promising you that there will not be any consequences from the sin that you've already done because there might be consequences from that sin. Because can a man take fire into his lap and not be burnt? You will be burnt by sin. It can't not happen. But you could stop the destructiveness, the complete and total destructiveness, if you fell on your face before God and repented. If you turned away from your sin and said, God, I don't want it to bring death. James chapter one deals with the issue of sin. Peter deals with it in chapter four. James deals with it in chapter one. And James says that sin begins when we are enticed. There's an enticement. Sin doesn't start with us saying, oh, gross. (laughs) Sin doesn't start with us saying, if I flirt with this secretary and then end up having a relationship with her and then have sex with her, my wife is going to find out, she's going to divorce me and my kids are going to hate me and I'm going to move out of my very nice house into a little shack somewhere because my whole life is going to fall apart. All you think about 
is how exciting it is when that girl kind of looked at you or winked at you or said something. Wow, that was enticing. Ooh, right? You don't see the path of where it will eventually lead you. But we see enough people, or maybe we've been that person from time to time, on the other end of sin to go, we need to identify when we are enticed by sin and know that it is destructive. Look at Eve as an example. She took that apple and she saw that it was good for food. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. She saw that it was desirable to make one wise. All of that was enticing. She had no idea that death that was going to be cast onto this earth and the destruction that was going to be cast onto the earth because she chose to eat of that fruit not necessarily an apple, by the way, chose to eat of the fruit that God said, don't eat of that fruit. And then Adam took it and ate it as well. And all of mankind was sent into that destruction. And so we look at our sin and we're enticed by it. I say, but I want, but I want that. I like going out and getting drunk. I like that exciting feeling when I'm flirting with that gal. I like it. There will come a day when it will get you. There'll come a day when, you'll, when you will get that DUI. And hopefully, it is just a DUI. And hopefully, it's not somebody killed because you drove drunk. Ho- hopefully, when things go awry, it won't destroy your marriage and the respect that your children have for you. But I'll tell you what, You're messing with something that can one day ensnare you and bring you down. It's not because God wants to ruin your fun that God says, stay away from sin. It's that God God sees it as it is. And we have to be big enough to see beyond the enticement and to see the power that there is in integrity. The Bible says that our integrity is, is that which protects us. And that a man without integrity is like a city without walls. In their day, if a city didn't have walls, then any animal, any beast could come in from any direction. Any army could come in and destroy them. Without integrity, the walls fall down and we find ourselves vulnerable from every aspect. If you sow to the flesh, the Bible says, from the flesh you will reap corruption. And in James 1, it says we're enticed by sin. And then when sin is conceived, when we go, ooh, I like that, and we bring it in, because when we're enticed by it, we could still say no. In fact, I found that God puts up roadblocks. God's good at putting up roadblocks in our way. And we're good at knocking those roadblocks down and going over them anyway. We're maybe good at identifying the roadblocks. We may even saying, wow, God's giving me a warning. I'm going to turn away from this. But then we turn around and go back over that roadblock. When we first began the church, there was a young man with a lot of promise in ministry at the church. And he heard me teaching on a similar subject like we're teaching on today. And he heard God speak to him clearly to break off a relationship he was in. God said, if you choose this relationship, then your life's going to head towards destruction. And he said the scary thing was that as he was sitting there, he said this to me later on, I chose the relationship. 
knowing it would bring him to destruction. And it did. Everything in his life was, was taken out. Now, God's merciful and God's good. And today his life is a blessing, but he went through dark, hard days because God said, that's not what I want for you. She's not who I have for you. God had someone else for him, but not her. And so it brought destruction into their lives. So it is with sin. We bring it in. And when it's conceived, what does it say in James? It brings forth death. We're enticed. It's conceived. It brings forth death. You might not die, but something's going to die. That's what sin does. Something dies. Now, you and I need the grace of God because the Bible says if any of us have not sinned, say we have not sinned, we're liars. So if I stand up in front of you guys today and say, I just want you guys to know that I have defeated sin in my life. You guys could say, liar. So what we need to do is call out upon the grace of God and learn to resist sin even unto bloodshed. The Bible says you have not resisted sin to bloodshed. You say, I can't not give in to it. You haven't resisted unto bloodshed. And look at the seriousness at which Peter approaches this subject. He says in verse one, therefore, and he's been talking about the suffering of Christ. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. He suffered in the flesh. We think of him in the garden, receiving the will of God for him to suffer. Lord, if, there, if there's any other way, take this from me. But if not, then your will be done. Arm yourself with the same mind. Lord, I don't want to suffer, but if your choice for me is suffering, then I'll receive it. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, Peter's talking about really suffering. He's talking about Suffering to the point of death. Because that's the only way you cease from sinning. There are those who teach that you can get to a sinless state here in your flesh, but it's a false teaching. I wish it wasn't. I wish we could overcome sin completely. But as long as we are here in this flesh, then we will be dealing with it. The key is that we have to deal with it. The key is that we've got to struggle with it. I like what Greg Laurie says. He says, some of you guys don't struggle with sin. You just give in. You're tempted, you give in. There's no struggle. We need to struggle with it. And suffering gives us a perspective where we battle against sin. This is, a, this is one of the positive side effects of suffering. One of the positive side effects of of difficulties. There's more than one, by the way. The Bible says that in our suffering, we complete the work of Christ. So that if in my suffering, the work of Christ can be completed, then I'll receive that. I don't want it. I ask God, why couldn't in my great joy, why couldn't you, you know, the work of Christ be done in that? God doesn't do things the way men do things. One of the side effects of suffering is that you cease to sin. When you suffer, it gives you a better perspective on this world. 
thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.